All right, everyone. Welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast, where we help you connect with the past through food. My name is James. I'm your host. And today is episode 75. So I want to take a minute to thank you all for finding the show and listening. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe. And if you'd like, leave a few words in a review. Really appreciate it. And I really appreciate those of you that have taken time to go to the website and read the articles that are posted there and leave comments and also leave reviews. It's much appreciated. It's fun to engage with y'all out there. So keep it coming. If you're new to the show, make sure you do go to the website, toastykettle.com. You can find show notes and recipes listed there. So today we're going to get presidential. We're all incredibly different individuals, and our political opinions are often as diverse as the foods that we enjoy eating. We all have a favorite food, something we keep going back to again and again. Today, we're going to talk about the favorite foods of U.S. presidents. This is going to be a two-part episode, so let's dig in. Let's go ahead and start at the beginning with George Washington. There's so much legend and myth surrounding George Washington that it can sometimes be hard to parse through it and find accurate information. And President Washington had simple tastes. He was a plain man and didn't seek out extravagant meals. The food he ate reflected the times that he lived in. And this was still a time when most of the nation was living off the land and the table reflected that. Game, fowl, meats, fruits, vegetables, and fish all had a place on the table. Washington was simple in his taste, but generous towards others. He tried to offer the very best he could to his guests. He once said, my matter of living is plain. I don't mean to be put out by it. A glass of wine and a bit of mutton are always welcome. Those who expect more will be disappointed. He had a particular love for cherries. And we know the story of the cherry tree, chopping down the cherry tree is a myth, but his love for cherries is a fact. His home in Mount Vernon had a fruit orchard that supplied him with a steady supply of fruit, which he loved, including his favorite cherries. He was also crazy for nuts. He would buy them by the barrel and deeply enjoyed them. Another food that he was particularly fond of was fish. He would go out of his way to eat fish as often as he could in a variety of preparations. Washington enjoyed hoe cakes topped with honey. These were a classic early American breakfast that was adapted from a Native American recipe. And Martha Washington was also known for a boozy cake that was packed with spices and fruit. And I'm going to post that recipe in the show notes. So make sure you check out the show notes or go to toastykettle.com to get that recipe. John Adams. So again, another man of simple taste. His time as president saw meals based on what he knew and loved from New England. And these were simple and light meals that were a sharp contrast to the heavier Southern food. Many historians believe it was Abigail's attempt to be frugal that led to all these simple meals. Both John and Abigail had been in Europe and had exposure to rich and delicious meals. However, frugality often won out in the end. 
So here's a question for you. Have you ever heard of Apple Pan Dowdy? <laughs> well, neither have I. This is a popular New England dessert that is basically an apple crumble. I'm also going to post the recipe for this in the show notes Show notes for Apple Pan Dowdy. So again, make sure you check that out. Next up, we have Thomas Jefferson. It's no secret that Thomas Jefferson loved France. He often preferred French cuisine to what you could find in Virginia. And who could blame him? <laughs> he said that he preferred French cooking because the meats were more tender. However, French cuisine wasn't his only love. He was a foodie at heart and had access to a variety of European cuisines from his time abroad. It was a foodie's paradise. He would have hosted a travel or food blog as good as any you'd see today. When he was in Holland, for example, he sampled waffles for the very first time. He immediately went out and bought a waffle iron. President Jefferson was fond of fresh produce. He would keep meticulous notes on when certain vegetables would be available in the local market. That way he always had produce that was in season at the peak of freshness. His one love uh, was Virginia sweet corn. He had it planted in his Paris garden as well as at the White House. Next up, we have James Madison. Now, James Madison is a man after my own heart. He had a love for rustic, hearty mills. There's nothing better than a rustic, hearty mill. His wife, Dolly, was known for her luxurious state mills. No president's wife before her was so thoroughly in charge of the nation's social life. They followed the precedent established by President Jefferson, and the cuisine at these gatherings was indeed French. Instead of the intimate gatherings that the Jeffersons preferred, Dolly loved to have masses of people about. Dinners, lawn parties, luncheons, teas, dances. These were all Dolly's idea. Her core value was the more the merrier. When President Madison was allowed to choose the mill for a quiet evening with the family, he'd often select his favorite Virginia ham, butter rolls, and apple pie. I personally can't think of a meal that's more American than that. James Monroe. James Monroe was a Virginian through and through. He enjoyed many Southern dishes during his time in the White House. His wife cooked up a mean chicken fried with rice, which was his favorite. And sounds like something that I would enjoy as well. Sounds absolutely amazing. He also enjoyed eating spoon bread, which is similar to a bread pudding. John Quincy Adams had tremendous exposure to a number of diverse European cuisines. However, he rarely showed interest in food. His journals rarely described what was eaten at various mills. However, they would go into great detail in who he was eating with and the conversations they had the relationships, the people that he was with were far more important to him than what was on the table. <laughs> One day he said, five or six small crackers and a glass of water gave me a sumptuous dinner. I just don't understand that. Multiple sources agree that John Quincy Adams had a simple but healthy food obsession while in the White House. He enjoyed fresh fruit. That was his favorite and the orchards at the White House grew a variety of fresh fruit like apricots, plums, apples, and pears. Next up, we have Andrew Jackson. 
He was often called King Andrew because of the magnificence of his culinary banquets. He enjoyed eating leg of lamb and lamb chops with rosemary. He also enjoyed eating rabbit. President Jackson enjoyed one of my personal favorites, leather britches. Now, before you get all kinds of crazy thoughts running through your head, this has nothing to do with clothing. It was a common term for green beans cooked with bacon. And I grew up on this stuff. I love green beans boiled with bacon. It's simply amazing. He also enjoyed braised wild duck, wild goose, and fried apple pies. (laughs) Fried apple pies, folks. That sounds incredible. Martin Van Buren. Van Buren was raised in a traditional Dutch New York family. He enjoyed simple and hearty dishes. On holiday occasions, he enjoyed a boar's head. He also had a deep love for oysters. A deep love for oysters. Donuts, raisins, and figs. William Henry Harrison. This presidency only lasted a single month. He died of either typhoid, pneumonia, or paratyphoid fever. He enjoyed burgos. I believe that's how you say that. Burgos, which was a squirrel and vegetable stew. He also hit the cider hard. He enjoyed and drank so much hard cider that he was known as the hard cider candidate. John Tyler. Now, Americans have a strange strange fascination with royal weddings. So how about a presidential wedding? John Tyler's first wife died about a year into his presidency. Following the death, they lived simply and comfortably at the White House with his kids. John met Julia Gardiner at a White House reception. She was 21 years old at the time. John Tyler was 30 years older than she was. Tyler made it clear that he wished to get involved with Julia. Initially, she wasn't attracted to this reserved reserved Virginian gentleman, but he persisted. He first proposed to her at a White House masquerade ball. She refused that and also his later proposals. So uh, I guess the president had guts. He had multiple proposals to this lady that wasn't giving him the time of day. Julia, her sister Margaret, and her father joined a presidential excursion on the new steam frigate Princeton. During the trip, Julia's father and others lost their lives when a huge naval gun called the Peacemaker exploded. Julia was devastated by the loss of her father. President Tyler comforted Julia in her grief, and in later years, Julia spoke of how the president's quiet strength sustained her during that tough time. This devotion to her won her consent for a secret engagement. So fun fact that I found as we were talking, as I was researching this this topic here, Hail to the Chief was played at a number of events to announce the arrival or presence of the President of the United States before Julia Tyler became the First Lady. However, once she moved into the White House, she ordered it to be used regularly to announce the arrival of the President. Her successor, Sarah Polk, did the same, and it became an established practice and tradition that continues to this day. 
So back to John Tyler. John Tyler enjoyed simple meals. However, the wedding feast was an event to be remembered. So instead of talking about the boring food John Tyler ate on the regular, I'll talk about what they feasted on at the event. So the wedding supper was described in detail by a number of newspapers. They had cold woodcock pigeons, chicken salad, oysters prepared in various ways. They had a hearty breakfast that was also an elaborate event. Omelets, spring chickens, pigeons, woodcock, ham, eggs, salmon, beefsteaks, kidneys, and young duck were all served. And Julia Tyler was the first lady for eight months and made the most of it. She hosted large social gatherings that echoed what she had learned of high society in Europe. Roast ham, a saddle of venison, wild ducks, and other poultry were often on display at these events. Also a variety of cakes and puddings. John Tyler loved the puddings. They were always a personal favorite of the president. James Polk. So James Polk really enjoyed eating corn pone or pone. <laughs> this is a cornmeal cake softened with buttermilk and baked. It was basically a type of cornbread. And this, pre this present stayed true to his Tennessee roots. Simple, hearty country fare was what he enjoyed the most. His diet was the unadorned frontier diet of the South, and he enjoyed simple dishes instead of the polished Creole specialties of New Orleans. President Zachary Taylor is up next. Taylor accepted plain food without complaining. His only request was that it be cooked decently and served well. One dish that he loved was a Louisiana staple. I'm going to butcher this. Callus to shads. <laughs> to Don't speak French. These are what beignets were known as before they were known as beignets and I approve of renaming that to beignets because it can be a mouthful. They were bits of fried dough covered in powdered sugar. This happened to be President Taylor's favorite food. Up next, we have Millard Fillmore. President Fillmore was credited with modernizing the White House. To this point, they did not have a stove in the White House. So under his administration, the first iron cook stove was installed, before a stove was brought in, all cooking was done colonial style with an open hearth. The staff didn't embrace these modernizations immediately. President Fillmore was all business. He didn't make time for lavish parties or decadent food. By the time he became president, his life patterns were set, and he had plain food that was prepared farm style. Meat, potatoes, and vegetables were staples on the Fillmore table. What more do you need? <laughs> Hardy soup was often considered a full meal, and he enjoyed various stews as well as a deep love for corn pudding. Next up, we have Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce was not a foodie, and to this point, presidents would host lavish state dinners with interesting and fancy dishes. Franklin Pierce treated state dinners as usual dinners. He enjoyed fried pies with apples, and he also had a deep love for fried clams as well as clam chowder. James Buchanan was next to enter the White House as a wealthy bachelor. He had a perfect knowledge of high society and its ways. His first lady-to-be was his niece, Miss Harriet Lane. She was 25 years old at the time and had been well prepared for her new role in the White House. President Buchanan 
was so particular about his food that he had fresh butter sent to him regularly from Philadelphia in a locked brass-bound kettle. So after four administrations of deprivation, gaiety returned to the White House in full force. It was a party again, folks. <laughs> President Buchanan enjoyed French cuisine and enjoyed the elegance of European society. The biggest social event of Buchanan's presidency was when the Prince of Wales came to Washington. This was the first visit to the former Amer American colonies of an heir apparent to the British throne. Two lavish dinner parties were held for the crown prince. Now let's talk about Buchanan's inauguration because this sounds like a party for the ages. <laughs> Around 5,000 people were served eight rounds of beef, 75 hams, 60 saddles of mutton, four saddles of venison, 400 gallons of oysters, five quarts of jellies, 1,200 quarts of ice cream, <laughs> 1,200 quarts of ice cream, and pâtés of different varieties. $3,000 had been spent on wine, and that would be close to $100,000 in today's currency. The highlight of the evening was a pyramid of cake four feet high and carefully, painstakingly decorated with a flag from each state in the Union. Now, even though this party sounded over the top, it was a hint of the social gatherings that were to come under Buchanan's presidency. When President Buchanan wasn't entertaining, he was hard at work leading the country. He would wake up early and have a light breakfast. He was at his desk hard at work by 8 a.m., at 5 p.m., the president would take a brisk walk to build an appetite for the elaborate dinner that was usually going to follow. <laughs> Once a week, some of the cabinet members and their wives were invited to have dinner at the White House as a family. In addition to the rich European cuisine, the president enjoyed the specialties made by Pennsylvania Dutch inhabitants of his native state. So up next, we have Abraham Lincoln again. This is one of those presidents where there's a lot of myth and a lot of legend. Historians are all over the place with President Lincoln's eating habits. Some pegged him as a gourmet to end all gourmets. Others said he had no interest in food. The president's bodyguard sought to set the record straight. He wrote once that Mr. Lincoln was a hearty eater. He never lost his taste for things that a growing farmer's boy would like. He was particularly fond of bacon. Love that. Who doesn't love bacon? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln loved to eat what was placed in front of him. He was a kind and gentle man and never complained. Mary and Abraham Lincoln both grew up in Kentucky. However, they both experienced vastly different food growing up. Mary grew up in the lush bluegrass region of the state. Rich, elaborate cooking were staples in that area. Abraham Lincoln grew up in the frontier. Plain food was what was often served in his house. Cornmeal cakes and wild game were frequently found on the table. In the White House, the president was often too preoccupied to eat. One dish that would actually that he would actually dig into was chicken fricassee. Other meals and dishes were just picked at by the president. Mary Lincoln tried again and again to get him to sit down and do more than just nibble on food. I guess there's a reason Abraham Lincoln was so skinny. Next up, we have Andrew Johnson. Southern comfort food seems to be a theme across several presidents, and Johnson was no different. He loved a dish called Hoppin' John. This was made with black-eyed peas, rice, chopped onions, sliced bacon, and salt. 
He also loved anything to do with sweet potatoes. You see, President Johnson grew up poor. He helped his widowed mother support their family. And as a result, Andrew Johnson learned quickly how versatile a sweet potato could be. They were cheap and wildly nutritious. Later in his life, Eliza taught Andrew to read and write. In addition to encouraging his political career, she was a capable homemaker and an amazing cook. She learned how to make do in the hard days before her Andy became president. She had a killer sweet potato pudding that President Johnson loved. It consisted of butter, sweet potatoes, sugar, raisins, allspice, cinnamon, cloves, nuts, cane syrup, and eggs. Yum. A lot of flavors going on there. Ulysses S. Grant. Grant was a simple man who was honored as a war hero. (laughs) When he won the presidency, he left years of dreary army service and moved into a world he had never known. Grant, not knowing any better, brought with him a quartermaster from his army days to be the chef. (laughs) Quantity was the chief ingredient on the menu, and fancy food was not found. State dinners would consist of turkey. If the quartermaster felt that he needed to mix things up on the menu for the next dinner, he got a bigger turkey. It didn't take long for Julia Grant to find a replacement. She hired an Italian steward named Valentino Mala, who had catered for some of the nation's top hotels. When Mala came on the scene, the, cu- the cuisine changed dramatically. In place of turkey, he would serve up 25 course meals. 25 courses. <laughs> That's incredible. And they would consist of partridge, filet of beef, and a variety of other elaborate dishes. These state dinners would serve around 36 people and were held almost once a week. These meals would cost anywhere between $700 and $2,000 at the time. That would be $22,000 to $63,000 in today's currency. When I say these were opulent and lavish meals, I'm not kidding. Private dinners were more relaxed and had an air of simplicity. Grant demanded military punctuality with mealtimes. These family dinners were happy moments when the Grants were truly alone. The president loved to play with his kids, and dinner hour often became playtime. President Grant would occasionally roll his bread into small balls and use them as ammunition to shoot at two of his kids, Nellie and Jesse. President Grant enjoyed a massive, hearty breakfast. A favorite breakfast of his would consist of broiled Spanish mackerel, steak, bacon, and fried apples, flannel cakes, or buckwheat cakes, and a cup of strong black coffee. Above it all, he had a deep and profound and abiding love for rice pudding. His love for rice pudding was almost considered by some to be a mania. That's how obsessed he was with it. Rutherford B. Hayes. Simplicity was a key tenant of the Hayes administration. Rutherford and his wife liked to eat simply and stick with favorite foods. However, there was one dessert that was a constant favorite, and they had it repeatedly. It was angel cake. Keeping with that theme of simplicity, he also enjoyed cornmeal pancakes. Next up, we have James Garfield. James Garfield suffered from severe stomach ailments. He survived chronic dysentery during the Civil War and later battled dyspepsia. He would carefully control his diet. 
he went so far as to carry his own lunch with him to Congress. It was no secret that the president loved squirrel soup. When he was shot, his physicians thought it would be a good idea to get some squirrel soup to see if that could get him to eat something. Colonel Crook, the dispersing officer at the White House, was tasked with securing the squirrels for the president's soup. He was given a permit to shoot squirrels on the grounds of the soldier's home. Unfortunately, the president never got well enough for the colonel to even go after the squirrels. Chester A. Arthur. There is a common theme among several presidents. They're private individuals and despise the opulent, fancy meals and state dinners that they had to suffer through. Chester Arthur was the complete opposite of that. He cherished his gourmet palate and his top-notch social style. Only one president surpassed him in these areas, and that would be Thomas Jefferson. When President Arthur first made it to the White House, he celebrated with a cozy, intimate dinner in the private dining room. We don't know the details of the meal. However, we do know that it was prepared by a French chef that Arthur had brought with him to Washington. President Arthur would wake up around 9.30 and enjoy a roll and coffee for breakfast. Lunch would be a light meal of oatmeal, fish, and fruit. No meat or heavy side dishes were served. Dinner was light but filled with style. His favorite meal was a mutton chop with a glass of ale or a slice of rare roast beef with hot baked potatoes and fruit. Sounds delicious. It's making me hungry, if I'm being honest. President Arthur also had a deep love for seafood. He loved Rhode Island eels, salmon, and macaroni pie with oysters. That sounds like something that would come from that time period. Next up, we have Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland served two terms as president. His first term was from 1885 to 1889, and his second term was from 1893 to 1897. There was one common theme that ran through both of his stints as president. He hated the fancy French cooking served in the White House. He felt the need to maintain the fancy Victorian standard of entertaining So these events would find guests treated to a multi-course meal. During one such meal, he was heard to say that he would prefer a plate of corned beef and cabbage. (laughs) He had simple tastes, and his private dining reflected that. On another occasion, he wrote, I must go to dinner. I wish it was to eat a pickled herring, Swiss cheese, and a chop at Lewis instead of the French stuff I shall find. (laughs) I can't emphasize this enough. He really didn't like French food. All right, last one for today. We have President Benjamin Harrison. Benjamin Harrison was known as being unpretentious and down to earth. And that describes a lot of the men on this list. And there seems to be two extremes here. You have those that were really embraced the limelight and the social scene in Washington and went complete over the top with the parties and the French cuisine, and then you have others that were just, they they couldn't care less. So the Harrisons enjoyed humble and hearty food that they grew up with. He loved soup and oysters. He also had a deep love for corn and a soft spot for presidential fig pudding. Caroline Harrison loved food. She loved that food even better when it was properly prepared And during her time in the White House, she took it upon herself to compile a cookbook of recipes from various legislators' wives. 
The title of this cookbook was Statesman's Dishes and How to Cook Them. I need to find a copy of that cookbook and share it. I'm going to try and see if I can find one and attach it to the show notes. If not, be on the lookout for it in the future, maybe next week's episode. That's all I have for today's show. Again, if you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your shows. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Toasty Kettle. You can also find my recipes and show notes at ToastyKettle.com. Until next week.